Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of the Volleyball Insiders podcast. Um, your host Nick St. Thomas joined with my co-host today, Ori Pablos. Ori, how are we doing today? We're doing great. Ready to roll, buddy. Awesome. Um, so what we want to bring to you guys today is uh, an insight into tryouts. Ori, we just uh, went through the tryout process for, for a lot of the Florida clubs, you know, starting in July and, and getting through that September 1st date. Um, and we caught up this week with Pedro Peñate from MVA Volleyball. Um, we asked him a couple questions about the tryout process specifically for his club. Um, what, are, what are some of the things that, um, that you're most looking forward to as we go through this episode? So actually today we're not only interviewing a club director, we're going to interview a parent, uh, Mr. Carlos Rionda, who had a kid play volleyball for um, actually MVA and then uh, 305. And uh, we're going to get, we're going to ask, ask him the same questions. And we're going to see a perspective from a club director and a parent. And we're going to do some comparisons. We really want to see how one side or the other, whether there's similarities or, you know, it's just a completely different look at how they walk into tryouts. Yeah. And that, that's a great segue into kind of the first question that we, that we brought to Pedro, you guys was, Essentially, you know, if you're a, a family and, and you're an athlete, if you're, if you're looking to find a club, the first thing we asked uh, for both of them was, you know, what, what are some of the questions that parents and athletes should be asking of the clubs before, even before the tryout process uh, in order to, to make a good decision for them? And, and here's what they had to say. I mean, I think first thing, they, they should try out everywhere. Um, kids shouldn't be scared to try out at clubs because of uh, loyalty or because they feel pressured from one side to the other side, they should go out and try out everywhere and see what's best for their situation, uh, for their family situation. You know, we have kids that economically might be better for someone, one club than another club. Or traveling, they want to travel more, they want to travel less. Or some kids, it might be important for them to be on the top team more than playing time. Or maybe playing time is more important than being on the top team. So these are all questions they need to be asking themselves and their parents need to ask the club is what, what situation my kid's going to be in? You know, are they going to be, you know, on the court without coming out? Are they going to be uh, in a competitive team that they might play some, not play other times? Or are they, you know, it all depends, you know, on, on how they perform in practice or how does a club function, you know, historically in those matters? I think those are the questions they need to be asking. Um, but I, I think... Kids need to try out everywhere and see what's best for them and meet coaches and meet different people and see where it's, you know, where they feel more comfortable. I think primarily uh, the security of the facility, uh, where the facility was in, in, in reference to Miami area. Also, um, the coaches, the experience of the coaches and who would be coaching the specific team that my daughter would be on were all important factors. And then I started to look at you know, the composition of the team, uh, the other players in the tryout. And also we asked specific questions about recruiting, about, you know, exactly how many practices per week and uh, per month there would be and what the uh, plan would be in terms of the schedule. Here's where I kind of go away from the mean. I, I believe it's more important to get playing time. I, I don't really believe this mentality that's happened in South Florida where I'd rather be on a top team and get 50% of the playing time. You know, I could understand that if you're in the Olympic team or you're playing Johnson, but you're playing in South Florida 
It's about repetitions. It's about, you know, getting the opportunity to play. And I would much rather be in a B team or a C team, or if you will, instead of team one, team two or three, and get as much, uh, you know, rotation time as possible. The last thing you want to do is be that player who's not getting enough time because you're on a very good team. But this is about playing. This is about having fun. And that's a component that a lot of people forget about. And I've met some people who've made a lot of money in volleyball, and I've met some people who have done it for the love of the game. And somewhere in between is what you need. You need that love of the game, but you also need the importance of making sure that every team has the opportunity to compete. And and again, one of the things that you know the league has done and, and these teams in the regional and state teams, there are parents who go to my church stop me and say, Carl, I don't want to play on a regional or a state team. And I tell them, just like I tell friends of mine who have kids in division one football or that our kids are playing in division two, if you're good enough to play in the next level, the coaches will find you. You know, if you're a good player on a second or a third team, the coaches will find you regardless of where you're at, but no one can find you on the bench. So I, th- I thought that was some interesting insight, both from Pedro and Carlos uh, regarding, you know, some of the things that that parents and athletes should be asking of clubs before the tryout process. Um, what, what were some things that stood out to you in their answers um, and, and just maybe elaborate on some of the things that they talked about? Listen, I think they both made very good points. I think a lot of times athletes and, pay- and players go into a tryout and they're just concerned into what level of team they're going to make. I, I think the first thing we need to realize is that not all clubs have the same niche. There are clubs that compete at a much higher level with their teams. There are clubs that are just state-level teams. So being on a national one team in one club in no way, shape, or form represents being on a national team in another club. You know, Carlos makes a good point about playing time, and that's something that a lot of times the directors or the club side are concerned about Um, because the truth is that um, you could make a one team somewhere or a better team, but how much time are you going to spend on the court is going to be the key. Uh, You also have these parents that tell you, well, my athlete is better uh, when they're pushed by other players. Well, you telling me that is also telling me that that athlete belongs in a lower level tier team because if they are not able to push the other athletes around them, then how are the athletes at the higher level benefiting from having them on the team? And the truth is that a lot of the clubs try to pair the teams in a way that every athlete is a productive component of the team. Uh, by the same token, and the point again that Carlos touched, playing time is real. Yeah, tryouts are a very short period, and the team that you get put on, you may want to say, okay, is the one team or the two team, but the season is long, and you want to make sure that you're on the court. Yeah, I thought playing time was something that they both, you know, interestingly enough, you know, club director and parent, you know, kind of being on the same page with, uh, you know, I thought they both thought that that would be a big factor in, you know, when a kid or a family's making that decision, it, it seemed to be one of the big things for them that, that should be considered. 
So Ori, the, the second thing that we, that we asked both Pedro and Carlos was, you know, regarding the tryout process for a particular club. Um, and, and what we asked Pedro as a club director was how his club prepared for tryouts, how they handled evaluations. Um, you know, how, how did they feel like they gave every kid a fair opportunity to be evaluated? Um, and then he gave us some insight, you know, on his, uh, NBA tryouts this year and how they went. Trials are just hard. It, it, they don't get easy. No matter how prepared you are, no matter how like ready you are, it, it's just hard because of all the you know situations you're gonna encounter. You know, you might have new kids take spots of kids that've been in your club for a long time, and that and that's a hard situation. You might have you know tell kids sometimes the hard truth is that you're not ready for this level. You need to play a level down. Those are hard moments, you know. And sometimes the kids understand so it's harder to tell the parents sometimes. Moments, um, but at NBA, I think it's the same as a lot of clubs. We grew in our tryout numbers. I think volleyball as a sport is just exploding everywhere. So we had our biggest trials we've ever had at NBA. You know, um, I think we had over six hundred girls come through our doors for tryouts. Um, and it was exciting. It was awesome. We were really excited about the whole situation and, and just being able to offer our services to kids that we haven't been able to offer before. So that, that was great. Um, the trial process for us, so with our court uh, limitations, we have we have different facilities, but all our facilities are only two courts. So we split up our tryouts throughout the week of different age groups. So we'll have like a Monday will be our 12s, Tuesday will be our 13s, and so on. So every day of the week will be a different age group comes in. And we have two sessions that are capped. Um, so we have about, about four, uh, 50 girls per session. Right, and then we try to have two evaluators per court, right? And then we have four court coaches per court, so we'll have two on each side running drills and helping girls and moving girls around. Um, but we have two evaluators per court, one on each side. Uh, when the girls come in for tryouts, we all give them a number, so you know, like those numbers they wear for marathons or for cross country and stuff. We all give them a number, that number gets registered to their name. Um, and the evaluators don't see the names. They only see the numbers. So they're less inclined to, if they know a girl, to give them a number, to give them a better score because they only see the number. They don't see the names. And then we use an app called uh, Team Genius. That's a tryout evaluation system, basically. So we import it all from our registration. They all get logged in there. And then from the app, it ba basically aggregates all the scores. So like, let's say we have uh, four evaluators, it'll give you an average of what all the evaluators scored each player, right? And then you could go into each evaluator scores and you see all the scores. So it gives everybody, every player has a score in our tryout. We will score them that way. And then from that app, we get to like send emails directly from there. So it makes the whole process a lot easier. In the early years, Nick, um, my daughter, um, Cece, she played up. So it was not only the situation of we knew she was a good player and we knew she could hang, you know, on any team that, you know, in, in South Florida that was out there. The challenge was making sure, you know, what her position was and who the other players, what the depth chart was on that specific team in that specific uh, position, as well as you start to look as you get older, you know, as your as your daughter gets older, you start to look at the composition of the team. You know what type of system they're going to run. You know what the uh, what the other players of the nucleus of the team are. And you know my daughter had the opportunity to play at national. She had the opportunity to play 
on a lot of good teams. She also had the opportunity to play on a few bad teams, and it gave her that perspective. So, Ori, I don't, I don't know about for you, but for me, I, I felt, though, with this question, I think Pedro kind of went in one direction, uh, you know, and I think Carlos went in a different direction based on his, his kid's experience. Um, you know, what, what were your thoughts? You know, obviously you've, you've run several tryouts over the years. What were your kind of things from maybe looking at it from the Pedro side of just the tryout and then maybe, you know, what the parent is thinking during, during the tryout process, sim- similar to Carlos? You know, what, one of the toughest things during tryouts is making sure that every athlete is looked at. Um, you know, Pedro uh, did a very good job of describing the things that they've put in place. Uh, you know, I, I find that Team Genius, for example, is a great tool for tryouts. Uh, we use it ourselves. And the other thing is having the right evaluators on, on the court. At the end of the day, it becomes simple. You know, the, the top one-third of the athletes is very easy to identify. Uh, the bottom one-third of the athletes is also very easy to identify. The more important part is those ones that are bubble kids, you know, like uh, can they play national? Do they still belong in state? And that's where all the um, the, the, playing, the playing time and, and the positions that you offer are important. So, you know, sometimes you get feedback from the parents. I don't feel that my kid got looked at correctly or my kid had a real bad day. Um, you know, I, I, I feel that most clubs that are established, that know what they're doing, that are taking the time, uh, that are putting the, the kids in a situation where they are being looked at, um, do get a pretty decent evaluation of, of the athletes. Um, on the side of, of the parents, um, you know, it becomes a little bit more emotional. You know, they may think their kid is at a level and they don't get put in a team that they particularly feel that they belong in. Um, one of the hardest parts and, and something that as directors uh, we need to find a solution for is are the decisions final, right? And that's the problem that we want the decisions that, or the parents and the athletes want the decisions that we make at tryouts to be finals. So there is no room for error for us. So, you know, adding emotion to that, that's, that's what makes it tough. But I think the clubs in general make a really good effort at, at evaluating every kid. And the real good clubs that are out there, uh, the higher level clubs, do implement a lot of technology and a lot of uh, um, outside sources to make sure that that the trials go fairly well. How, how much of the emotional side, or even the the hard part, even as on the club side, uh, you know, in regards to to the tryout process in Florida, we we typically try out earlier than other states. Um, is there an element of the the fact that we try out early? And it's, you know, a thing that comes around very quickly after the last season just ended. Um, do you think there's added pressure when, uh, you know, clubs are having tryouts around the same time? Does that make it difficult for parents? Uh, does it make it difficult for clubs? I, I think in general, um, the clubs in the immediate areas, it would be nice if they communicated with each other a little bit better. 
um, because it benefits everyone. You know, it, it doesn't benefit, for example, for NBA and Pedro, like he says, he's got two other clubs a mile away. It would be great if they could, yeah. excuse me, if they could manage that in a way that uh, that they're not having the same tryouts for the same age groups. It benefits them. I mean, it benefits the parents and it benefits the, the athletes in being able to try out in all the clubs and, and find the right fit. Um, you know, the, the emotional part is something that on the club side, we 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 tend to think that we're not emotional when we pick these kids. We want to do it in a in an objective way, um, but we also have to take into account the emotional part from the parents and from the athletes. Right. So so there there is it's tough. You know, tryouts are are tough. Corey, the next thing that we asked both Pedro and Carlos about was. Um, as the sport of volleyball grows, not only in the South Florida area, but, you know, nationally, um, you know, with more and more clubs popping up, um, you know, how, how do they both deal both as a club director and as a parent with um, more and more clubs being within their immediate area? Um, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing for both of them as a director and as a parent? Um, and how do they both deal with the retention process, you know, in terms of athletes staying at the club? How does the club handle, you know, keeping their athletes at the club? What do parents expect the club to do in terms of retaining their athletes? Um, and what are their thoughts on athletes being recruited to other clubs? In our specific city, Miami, in, in our area where we have our facility, I think there's three major clubs, big clubs within like a mile from each other. So yeah, it's it's pretty uh, interesting um, going through that process and, and going through all that. I think competition is always good. You know, when I played volleyball, I wanted to be pushed. I wanted to have people next to me that could compete with me. I, I do the same in business is I want other clubs to be good. So I have to be better. You know, they push me to be the best club I could be. And if anybody slacks off, then the other club becomes bigger and, and you don't want that. So we really, I like the competition aspect of, of it. Um, there is a lot of turnover. I think in any city or tri-county area that you have a lot of clubs, you're going to have kids moving around a little bit, trying to find what's best for them. Um, but I think that's great. It gives the kids a lot of options to go play different clubs. They don't have to travel that much. Um, and, and, you know, I think it makes it all better. I think if you look at, in my city, Miami specifically, uh, 10 years ago, we weren't competing with the Orlandos. We weren't competing with the Tampos. We weren't even competing with the, the Broward clubs as much. And now we're on par with everybody, you know, pretty much. And we're able to compete with a lot of the clubs that we weren't able to before. And I think the major reason is that is that all the clubs had to elevate their level to become bigger and better. So I just pushed everybody to get better coaching, better facilities, better training, better everything. So I think that's one of the major reasons why Miami's getting better at volleyball on the court. I, I will tell you, Nick, is it a perfect system? It's not. There's so many things that could be fixed or improved, but I will tell you the system works. You know, for the most part, you know, the majority, if not all the clubs in South Florida are very healthy. The, the average club in South Florida has over 15 teams with the elite clubs having over 30. You know, you're in a situation where things are very strong. Even in Broward County, just north of us, it's very, even stronger. And, and going, going north, you know, into West Palm Beach as well, it, it's, it's really 
you start to get a sense where, you know, this has become almost a year around sport now where, where girls are training for volleyball, whether it's high school or whether it's club, 10 to 11 months out of the year. And um, that's an amazing thing. That's evolved a lot in the last, you know, five or six years since I've been involved. I agree with, we're going to put out the best product we can. We're, going to, we're not going to overpromise on any girls. So, you know, we're, we're notorious for not telling girls, hey, you're going to be a starter no matter what. Like, we don't do that to kids. We try to tell them the truth is that, hey, you got to compete. You know, and, and if you compete, you might, have, you might play some games. You might, play, you might not play other games. It all depends on how you perform and how you compete in practice. Um, and some kids like that. Some kids don't. Uh, personally, like, on my, my team last year, my 16th team, we're, you know, pretty successful. And I had two girls um, ask for a release after the first event of the season. You know, they, they played with the team for three days and they weren't happy with their role. And I was like, well, this is not your role for the whole year. It might change. It might. And they weren't happy. And we just, you know, give them the release. You know, it, it is what it is. And we understand that part of it. And, you know, as a business, again, you have to protect yourselves. But I also free the, I believe in the free market. And I think girls want to move, girls move. Take it full circle. The tryout's very important, but I've come to the conclusion that the tryout really starts at the halfway point of the season. You start to get a sense of, hey, how do I fit in this club? You know, what is, who's the coach of the next level? You know, how do I make a relationship with that coach? How do I start to position my daughter for, for her best option? And then you also have in, in Florida, a lot of competition. So you'll have coaches from other teams, you know, inquiring about your daughter's availability. And it becomes almost like a free agency window, which uh, Nick is, is something that I think needs to be regulated. I, you know, I've addressed it numerous times about the fact that, you know, teams and clubs should be respected. But I also understand that the girls have rights. The girls have the ability of choosing where they want to go. I can tell you uh, from a parent perspective, um, you know, this is, you have to always remember this is a business and that's part of the, the difficult component of this. It, you're not just coach, you're a business owner or you're a business manager, or you're a director of the business. And that sometimes creates, you know, a, a two-sided conversation of, hey, what's in the best interest of your daughter or what's in the best interest of the said club? And that Really, I think I could write a PhD thesis on, you know, how do you manage that? And, and from our perspective, you know, as a family, my wife was a, a very good athlete and she played all the way through high school. And she told me, she's like, she's like, Carl, so, you know, some of these coaches are, are very prepared and, and, and will do a great job. But you could literally go from a top coach in a club and the next year end up with a coach who possibly may not have the same, you know, level or may not believe in the same system. So you run the risk of doing that. But I, I can tell you, it's scary. In South Florida, the average player plays in 1.7 clubs, uh, you know, in their playing career. It might even be higher now if you think about it. But that tells you that the majority of girls are, are at least trying out or, or switching from one club to another. And, and that is an adjustment. Um, Nick, we, we lived that, and I can tell you it was difficult. 
So Ori, a little bit more of a two-part question here in terms of, you know, the the club organization atmosphere, the growth um, in the area. Last episode, we celebrated Wildfire's 20-year anniversary. So, um, you know, I think I think you might have some insight here on what both Pedro and Carlos talked about um, as you've seen more and more clubs pop up even around Wildfire and in the greater South Florida area. So, as I mentioned in the last episode, I, I think our competition is actually other sports, you know, soccer, basketball, you know, dance, sports that um, girls were doing that now they didn't have the availability back then to to play volleyball. There wasn't that much volleyball around, and now it's just exploded, and we're getting more and more and more girls playing volleyball. Um I, you know, Pedro makes a, a great point on, on being in the open market. I I believe that that the growth of the the clubs around us is great. It just brings a lot more girls to play volleyball. And I think Carlos nailed it with his answer. I think I think at the end of the day, clubs have a two hour tryout, and athletes and parents have a whole season tryout. And clubs have to be held accountable for what they're promising. So right. if I promise you playing time, if I promise you that I'm going to give you X many practices, if I promise you a structure, if I promise you great communication, great environment, all the right things, well, I need to deliver on that. And any time a player right. or a parent doesn't feel they're getting what they were promised, this is a one-year contract. This this is what it is. And even then, if they're unhappy in that environment, they should be easily released. So at the end of the day, the parents and the athletes have the power here. You should be able to, within reason, you know, you can just go overboard. But the things that you were promised, the things that you were told that you were going to get, well, you have to get them. And as far as going from one coach who's good to another coach that's not good, well, good clubs have a culture. Good clubs have a structure. Good clubs use the same training across the board. All that needs to be in place. And if you don't have it in place, you're going to lose that athlete to another club. You're going to, that parent is going to go to another club. The key here is that it is more important that the athlete and the parent like the environment and the training facilities and the club they're in, that the club likes the parent and the athletes. It works the other way. So at the end of the day, uh, I think more clubs, uh, more people playing volleyball, an open system, all that is fantastic for the sport. One of the things that uh, Carlos brought up very briefly was, you know, the the idea of, you know, during the season at, at any point, you know, coaches from other clubs talking talking to any of your players. Um, and and I, I kind of wanted to, in, in a sense, push back in a way, because from my experience, I think a lot of the directors, you know, get along and, and do work well together. Um, and even have these these uncomfortable conversations sometimes about kids switching clubs even before it happens. Um, 
you know, I, I actually think a lot of maybe this player recruitment could be parent driven sometimes. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on that? You know, with kids, not even within the club, but maybe when they go back to their high school or something, and and then that's how the kid ends up at another club or something like that. Number one, number one, let's understand that, um, club volleyball is, is social has a social aspect to it. Right. So their friends want to play with their friends and all that kind of stuff. Uh, number two, there is such a thing as coaches going to players from other clubs, talking to them about coming to play for them. What that shows is a total lack of respect for the athletes that you are now coaching. You're basically saying some right. of your athletes are not good enough and I want to replace them. There's also a lot of recruiting from parents from other teams coming to talk to kids to come to their club. That also shows that you don't feel, a parent that's doing that basically doesn't feel that the teammates that her daughter is playing with are good enough. So all that is a reflection of the lack of confidence that you have not only on your own team, but if you're a coach doing that, on your lack of ability to coach your players up. So at the end of the day, I want to tell you, that I do not care about recruiting. Anybody could go out and recruit other players. But the point is that the important thing for me is to do the best job that I can for the players that are on my team today. And I worry about the players that are going to be on my team next year at tryouts next year. Corey, so far we've heard uh, a lot from both Pedro and Carlos uh, when it comes to tryouts and, and essentially club expectations from both sides. Um, the last thing that we asked was was about tournament schedules and and how uh, important they are to parents and uh, and club directors um, and what kind of the decision making process is behind the scenes with what tournaments they go to as well as what the expectations are. Um, you know, from those events that they go to both in terms of, you know, the teams and, you know, what the parents and players are expecting as well. I mean, for the parents' side, it's how much is it going to cost me to travel and where we're going? And is it easy to get flights in and out for traveling in a plane? Like, I think that's the biggest thing for parents. Oh, parking. Parking's a big one, too, for parents. Um, for players, I, you know, I like to talk to my players a lot and get feedback from them. I think their biggest thing is like, where are we going? Like, are we going somewhere fun? Are we going somewhere there's a lot to do? Um, one of our teams is going to Minnesota in January this year, and some of our players aren't happy about being in the, you know, ten degree weather in, in Minnesota uh, in January. But um, I think when we're when the club is building the tournament schedule, we're looking at level of play. You know, what level our team or what level we predict, and I think that's the hardest part for club directors is. We're building these schedules in August, September, the latest, you know, and we don't play until January. So we have to predict what level we think our team is going to be at in January. Are they going to improve? Are they not going to improve? Are they, you know, what level are they at right now? What level do we predict them to be? So it's a lot, it's a guessing game, to be honest, with some of our teams. Some of our teams, we know what level they're going to be at and we can put them on a good team, a good, a good tournament level, but others, it's, it's, uh, you know, we don't know to guess. Um, for our top elite teams, we're looking to compete with the best teams we can compete against. And, and you know, 
We have several league teams that are playing in open in all our events, including qualifiers. Um, and they might get the butt kicks a little bit. That's okay. It's about growing and playing against the best and proving ourselves against the best. I think that's one of the harder things for club directors after tryouts is building that tournament schedule that is, you know, financially responsible. I can say that, you know, uh, being financially responsible for our parents, for the club, and then also very competitive. Because I think at the end of the day, the kids want to play against the best. I want to be very clear. I've never coached volleyball. I've never really been involved in anything to do with coaching, but I could tell you it's so important. The schedule becomes a, a key factor. Why? Because of injury, because of, you know, we have, we forget that these are student athletes and, and these girls for the most part are going to school Monday through Friday, you know, literally, getting out Friday at three o'clock, we're getting in the car and we're driving to Jacksonville or to Orlando to play in, you know, whichever tournament you want to name. And literally at the end of that tournament, win, lose or draw, we're getting back in the car and driving home. And then guess what? That next morning, you know, you're going to school again. So you're sacrificing your weekend, you know, your, your rest to go out there and, and do something. And that, that becomes, it's a toll. And when you add flight time to that or when, you know, we've had clubs in Miami go to Salt Lake City, Utah, or, or play in Oregon or play in, in, in Anaheim, California. I understand it and I respect it. But, you know, it's almost like instead of having one itinerary for the entire club, which was the old system, now it's about what level is each team and where, where can that team play. So there are teams, for example, that do deserve to go on more of a rigorous schedule. And that's where that parent, you know, communication is so important. Cause if you get 10 to 12 girls on a team and the parents are on board to, to do additional trips, it starts to make sense. Early on, it was really about, you know, geography and distance and cost. And, you know, for up and coming clubs, it was about how much money is it gonna cost me and going through that process. But when you get to the big picture, Nick, it really became now a situation where, okay, we have clubs in South Florida that are going to four or five tournaments outside of the state. You know, that puts a burden on families, you know, and, and that was one of the reasons I got involved in the volleyball business and then into the tournament business is to try to bring those level tournaments closer to home. Or just to kind of wrap things up here, um, you know, in regards to the answers from both Pedro and Carlos about, you know, tournament scheduling and, and what tournaments have sort of become over, you know, the last two decades for you. Um, what were some of your thoughts on what they had to say in regards to tournaments, how they decide where they're going to go, what's important to them on, on both sides? You know, I, I think is is important. Um, they, they both made very good points. I, I think one of the things that we have to look at is the, the financial part of it, right? And when we're talking about the financial part of it, is is the competition going to be any better by spending more money traveling? You know, we. I'll give you an example. Um, the Florida series that has been put in place in South Florida. You know, the the, the clubs in South Florida should be. And, and and I think they are grateful that now we don't have to go traveling all over the state to play great competition. We have great competition right at home. 
the amount of money that right. that saves when you talk about hotels and travel and all this and that. Carlos makes a great point about these are student athletes. Every time you travel, you probably have to take a day off from school. And by the time you get back home on Sunday, you're exhausted for the next day. How nice is it to be able to sleep at home? So unless you're going to find better recruiting, more competition, which is what happens with the national teams that travel out of state, you should be putting your team in a situation where your teams that are recruitable, there's going to be coaches there. Please understand that this doesn't happen unless the athlete has been active in reaching out to coaches and everything else. But as far as putting a tournament schedule together is how do we put a schedule together that doesn't keep the kids out of school two or three weekends in a row out of school? How do we put it together that is financially responsible, which is a point that Pedro made. And, um, and I, I, I think putting a, a schedule together is not easy because a lot of the tournaments, now national tournaments, they run in the same weekend or back-to-back. So uh, you have to have an open ability to go from, you know, three-step events to JVA events to AAU events to USAV events. If you're going to stick to just one platform, it's going to be very hard for you to be uh, responsible in putting the right schedule together for the athletes and the parents. One of, one of the things I think uh, in terms of tournaments and how they've grown is, um, you know, what, what the experience is for the players in terms of, you know, what they feel like when they're in the, the convention center or wherever they're at. Um, and I think a big part that sometimes actually goes missing is, you know, what the experience is for the parents. You know, I, I think maybe even too often parents are, are on the court too much. You know, is there is there something that could be done? you know, to, to provide a good experience? And do you see anything being done to provide a better experience for the parent who is attending also the events? So, Nick, as you know, I'm, I'm in the tournament part of things and in the event part of, of volleyball also. And that's one of my main points. You know, how do we add value to the parents coming to the event? Because if, if the value of taking a an athlete to the event is going to be sitting there just watching your kid play volleyball and nothing else. Yeah, there, there's a lot of joy in watching your kid play volleyball, but there's a lot of space in right. between games and time that the parents should have something to do. So, you know, we try to add a lounge. We're always looking for extra stuff to, to do. So um, I think events have to gear towards that. Uh, parents pay an entry fee. They, you know, the, they, there's a lot going on that we can add value to the athletes that are there that is not just playing a game. Um, seminars about recruiting, you know, a lounge that if they want to take a break from all the noise they can sit at, maybe watch a football game. Um, um, something where they can uh, play a game. And all these things can be fundraisers for philanthropy or, or whatever it is. But I, I think Right. We need to make events a lot more fun for all the parents and the athletes. Yeah, overall, Ori, I think we we definitely got some great insight, uh, not just from Pedro and Carlos, but also from you. 
um, you know, in this in this uh, second episode here. I'm super excited about as we continue to, uh, you know, meet with some of the folks that we know in the community about different topics uh, to provide uh, an opportunity for people to hear maybe some things that they've never heard before. Um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, uh, I am just grateful for Pedro and Carlos's time and your time. No, no, listen, and I, uh, I appreciate their time. I appreciate uh, their, their input. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to um, further episodes. We want to, you know, we want to get athletes involved. We want to get parents involved in this podcast. Uh, we we want to bring a lot of information to you. This is a, a podcast that we're putting together, um, and it's more for the parents and the athletes than anything else. We want you guys to understand uh, what the volleyball world is like, um, get different views, get different opinions, and and post and, and, and give us your time and opinion because we're interested. So to that point, folks, uh, visit our website, follow us on social media, send us an email, info at volleyballinsiders.org. Uh, we we want to hear even if you have some topics that you want us to talk about. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to us, and we look forward to seeing everybody next week. Peace out.